So with your music and like your audio, I know some developers, they really try to like get it in house because they have more control over it and like they feel like they have right. a better feel for the like the game. Is that something you guys are like thinking about at all or is it in the back of your mind or no, you just kind of are happy with kind of how things are rolling right now? It's, it's pretty good what it is. I mean, basically we have a couple of demos out. So what I did for that, we pretty much just shopped online for like pre-board audio. Just kind of fitted that and timed it to a lot of stuff. So basically when we're talking to sound people now, we're going through the process of finding a sound team but essentially they can look back on those demos and be like okay you kind of understand the vibe they're going through one of this i've only ever interviewed so you're the second dev developer i've interviewed out of new zealand and like okay, I, yeah. I don't see a lot of devs from like new zealand i know the asia market is like massive right now and there's tons of developer teams coming out of there but like is there a growing market for you guys right now or yeah it's really taken off so basically a government's coming around and, and kind of seeing the figures and numbers coming in and they're just kind of realizing kind of our, our small population that we're mm -hmm. actually there's, there's quite a hefty amount of development happening but there are a lot of up-and-coming teams and uh, yeah. big initiative we actually won the kiwi starter awards um between so that was like yeah it was really cool um so <laughs> yeah there's definitely there's an amazing community here and super supportive so that's really cool um, i know europe we have stuff like that too right now yeah yeah big kind of those like collab initiatives and stuff so yeah. it's growing definitely before we kind of get into it i guess as a backdrop before we kind of talk about the game itself and the industry talk to me about your experience in the industry you mentioned you did animation kind of leading up to this you'd made i believe it was an ios game it was hyper crimson that's one yeah, okay yeah, yeah, yeah. so Talk to me about kind of how the development went for that game, how you kind of learned from it, that post-launch, and then kind of leading into this game, basically. Um, basically, Hyper Crimson, I mean, it came out roughly probably about 14 sales, you know, mm. it, was, <laughs> it was like this little arcane uh, mm. thing that we were pushing out to basically just test like the kind of app space. Yeah. Uh, through that process, we very quickly learned we didn't want to be in the app space. So mm. that was uh, kind of, that was kind of the forefront information that we picked up there. And we were working on kind of like this other title uh, called Arrow Rider, which was kind of of like Princess Mononoke inspired and that was initially for mobile and that just kind of transformed over time into us having more ideas and pushing our kind of skill sets so like I said we spent you know many years just trying to get our skill sets up basically to the point yeah. where we could to achieve the stuff we wanted so. you know you, you mentioned you kind of wanted to get away from iOS and mobile was there like a, a major reason behind that or was it just kind of because you wanted to create a game like for desktop and stuff uh, look honestly man um, by the time we got into it we realized you know kind of creating like a business plan and mm -hmm. business model so I was like you know how do you basically implement finance and mm -hmm. I was like it was just stripping the creativity out of it for me so I mean you know like we we don't build a lot of games with like a lot of subsystems mm -hmm. or like online or anything so it's kind of like I just didn't feel at home in that space so okay. uh, we just kind of kept on ramping up and up and up and gain traction over time and yeah from a development standpoint though is it similar when you're create I know obviously mobile games are much smaller but is it kind of like something you can expand upon like you know you kind of have those building blocks and you can apply that to creating a steam game a pc game or is it kind of like two very different animals that kind of are very separate in, in very distinct ways oh man they're definitely two beasts but they're both feisty one's just like a area that'll get you at the angles and the other one's like you know full devour so mm. you know um so i mean yeah when we were there basically i mean i started in game selling i don't mm. even know if anybody knows that reference anymore but you know that was kind of like drag and drop so i mean yeah everything we learned has been basically just building blocks like you say it's just kind yeah. of built the foundation so we don't regret it or anything of that nature you know it's um and honestly i think in design one thing i've learned is restrictions are really healthy 
So, I mean, you know, we all know scope creeps is a massive plague on, you know, any creative in the industry. And, you know, you've got your development team that want to throw you out a window when you're like, hey, I've got this new idea, you know? So, um, yeah. Engine-wise, though, is it is it the same engine that you built your mobile games on? Is it a different engine? Kind of walk me through that one. Yeah, so basically, I was building games before uh, me and Ryan linked up. We started together mm-hmm. and then linked up again years later. Yeah. When we started development of kind of Rose and Lock and then started getting into like, these larger titles, we were in Game Maker. Moved to Game Maker Studio 2, um, and then pretty much we, once we started landing publisher Mm. deals, you know, the publisher deal, we, these conversations of porting came up, so then Mm. we moved to Unity. Okay. It was just a lot more streamlined from their pipeline to basically work. How far, how far were you guys along when you decided to move to Unity? Ah, look, yeah, I mean, we were kind of had uh, the base of the game kind of operational, so we had pretty much like, if you look at that last demo that's about a year old now, that was all Game Maker. So Ryan, Ryan the mix of like basically starting Mm. this publisher contract, just hits like 46 Red Bulls and just goes at it, right? So he's like, you know, he's he's working on two computer, you know, two keyboards, two screens, whatever, and um, he kind of works through that and understands it. By the time he's in there, he loves it, right? Because Nothing against gaming, amazing software. Yeah. But I think just for what we were doing and some of the kind of like uh, scale changing within the 2D assets and stuff and working that fake C space, C depth, you know, we were, you know, Unity was that. And once he got into the effects, he was like kid in a candy shop, right? So fireworks. <laughs> Could you transfer anything over from Game Maker to Unity, like some of those base codes, or did everything just get dumped and you had to rebuild it all? Yeah, I think at that point you're kind of like, um, the, the probably more important things for us were those systems, right? So we have like curving collisions and platforms in a game, mm. so we don't really deal with straight platforms. So standing yeah. in our understanding of how to like design for that and then code for that was more important than the actual probably code itself. So by the time you got in, it was just easier to just rebuild the whole thing, right? Like That makes a lot of sense, know? yeah. You don't yeah, want to yeah. weed through it and try to figure it out. You just want to start from scratch. Yeah, I get that. Golden rule, right? Retrofitting anything so. <laughs> <laughs> a nightmare. So. Yeah, yeah. So, why? Uh, for sure. I have to ask, why Unity though? Why not Unreal? Look, Unity's like just, it's pretty much the sweet spot for what we need. Mm-hmm. You know, like um, we probably wouldn't need any more capabilities outside of that right now. It's just, I think probably the language uh, was it was similar enough to kind of jump in and understand that as well. So mm. um, these are probably more in-depth questions for Ryan, but he's um, he was really shopping around for kind of where to go with mm. like myself. Uh, he did his, his research and mm-hmm. landed on Unity. I think it's hard because like when you're looking for an engine, there's a million videos out there for, for all kinds now. Godot is like getting very popular. It's getting more tutorials to it. And I think they're both getting very... Unity mm-hmm. It's keyed more towards like different things. I think Unity and Unreal, I think they have distinct capabilities and distinct differences. And even though both engines are trying to like bridge those gaps and kind of make up for those differences and make all devs happy basically i think you know unity is probably like the sweet spot but it's always made me curious because i think when you're learning an engine from the ground up everybody usually like picks unity right like Mm, the predominant the predominant percentage picks unity but they're both probably equally as hard i would think but it's just like one of those weird little things where it's like most people lean towards unity maybe because it's been around even though has Unity been yeah. around longer? I'm not sure. I don't know either, but what I do know is that, I mean, the tutorial support alone, I mean, yeah. YouTube channels, Unity is just phenomenal. So it's like, I mean, Ryan gets asked all the time, like, you know, how do you learn, you, you know, Unity? And it's mm. like, well, this one answer, right? Like, yeah. YouTube. I mean, <laughs> That's a great yeah. point. Like, if you look at the the YouTube libraries for Unity, they're, they're massive. And you have Discord yeah. servers, and you have Reddits, and it's like, there's this huge wealth of knowledge for Unity, and it's just... 
it's kind of crazy to think about like it's just there's so much there switching from game maker to unity was that am i allowed to ask this or was that a publisher like requirement or was it just something you guys wanted to do because it was easier to port no i mean look um they they were uh, fully supporting mm. where we want the stick or stay or move but um you know it just kind of when we really looked into it and i mean obviously when you get into these kind of like uh publisher deals there's a lot of external stuff that you don't think about just from building an initial you know your game mm. so you know by the time we started really just kind of looking at porting and, and the discussions around that and where the game was going eventually um which i can't talk about but you know it was like it was kind of well hey, you know, there's, there's going to be a lot, a lot slicker process when it came to like this. Mm. It's kind of the main initial factor, but then, like I said, by the time Ryan got in, like he's he's amazing with the in-game effects and I think it's what he loves doing. So just the diversity of you kind of like ease of youth and what he could do with the particle systems and everything was yeah. like he was hooked. That's, uh, I mean, that's kind of like the, the flashy enjoyment side of, you know, <laughs> coding, I suspect, yeah. But so he does your coding, you do your animation, you kind of contract out your audio and your music have you ever thought about expanding that team is it because i for the game you have for the size it looks like i mean i'm not on the back end of it so i can't know for sure but it looks like it's a pretty i wouldn't it's not massive but it's definitely a large-scale game so like there's got to be some stress factor on just the two of you making this one right yeah look i mean um so we've had people done a few interviews now and obviously one of the main questions that comes up is what's been the hardest part mm. and we just kind of answer everything yeah right? yeah right <laughs> uh, yeah look i mean it's not a long game mm. but basically it's so yeah. we don't build asset packs we don't reuse those assets everything is custom created the whole way through mm. trying to make what we think is unique you know for us is yeah. from design perspective and and yeah look we've we've climbed like multiple everest the kind of even just get to the point where all those mm. systems were operating with the cut to the comic frames and the transitions and the unique framing and yeah. curved collisions, 360 aiming, all the stuff. So, but I will say basically that I think under pressure and time limitation, it just breeds good design, right? Like yeah. kind of snaps you out of that space where you're overthinking things and you've got to be really honest with yourself about what you like and what you don't. And you mm. don't have this time to kind of like pamper yourself. And, you know, so we, it has been a lot, it has been very tough, but you know, we're looking good and we'll just we'll keep going hopefully people like it at the end but yeah it's dense right you said you've been working on it full-time for about a year now so mm -hmm. is there like for you as a developer i know different developers go at different paces some of them set a specific time frame to make their game in to kind of pressure themselves as you were mentioning to kind of like get to that finish line other ones are just like when it gets done it gets done you have like mm -hmm. your micromanagers who just like are you know everything needs to be perfect and until it is we're not releasing it kind of where are you guys at structure wise when you look at like your development cycle on that side of things so I think anybody that deals with publishers, basically you set your deliverables, right? And that's mm. off your plan as the developers and then you're pretty much sticking to that. So, you know, we've just been through a little extension just on the first part of the game, just yeah. as that's kind of teaching the players how to kind of move and we have like this kind of combat dance, you know, yeah. AKA the Doom Doom model. Um, so, you know, like, so yeah, but for the most part, um, our kind of whole model towards what we need to do is when it pops yeah. up, do it then. Right, like you know, and uh, we don't kind of leave things behind. We're not really into like half baking anything, so mm. we just kind of ferociously go at it. We don't really have a choice, so that's kind of our model around it. Is this game how is it structured? Is it kind of Metroidvania based where you're kind of wandering around? Is it more linear? Is it open? Kind of how exactly how exactly is your game structure built out as? Yeah, so I mean, uh, it's a linear title. Okay. We get the Metroidvania a lot just because that's kind of what 
things are at the moment, right? Yeah. Like everybody's after the next Hollow Knight. And yeah. I think we've been tagged a couple of times and I said, look guys, Team Cherry already won that race. So, you know, like, um, <laughs> you yep. know, no, look, it's um, basically it's linear base. We have okay. a story element and you move from pretty much one uh, sin of the underworld to the next mm. and you're kind of collect as bounties. So we obviously have just kind of those creative spaces set to those kind of realms and sins. Okay. And so are you like developing it one node at a time? Like you're only creating the yeah. one level and moving to the next? Yeah. Pretty much. And then uh, like, look, they vary as well. So we mm. might have uh, kind of faster paced auto scroll segments and then, you know, we've got you know, more. I mean, uh, the kind mm. of realm that we're moving into at the moment has more of a maze design. So it has kind of like hints of but by no means does that mean that'll be a tag on the game let's put it that way was that like a was that a conscious decision where you didn't want to stretch yourselves from the development side of things yeah okay that makes sense yeah look i mean uh, i get it you know everybody's into it it's an amazing genre and it it provides such a massive world right to work in especially the 2D space, but you have to be realistic about where your scope is. I mean, we didn't want to end up in the MMO space where you've cl- got to collect 1,200 chickens, right? You mm-hmm. know, because that's, yep. that's, we're, not, we're not dealing in time fillers. We're cutting out a lot of that. And just everything we're trying to do is potent. And- it is a good point. And I think a lot of times developers, they will try to like develop the next they try to develop a game in a genre that's popular right now and kind of have it mimic certain attributes of those games that are popular and i think a lot Mm -hmm. of platformers because a platformer is a great place to start for developers kind of from a i don't know i guess from a learning standpoint sometimes these games like they lean into that kind of metroidvania style or roguelite style or roguelike or you know all these different genres that are kind of sharing the same things and it does tend to oversaturate the market and i think when you lean into your strengths it's like it's a it can only play in your favor really and it's something like i mentioned with your game like where you kind of lean into those different animations and the way you letterbox and like all the different styles you're doing in your game it pops out and all of a sudden you're like hey this is something different and different works in your favor when steam's pushing out i think it's what 12 games a day right now or something along those lines so yeah yeah uh, yeah no you're 100 percent right man i mean i think um look people always kind of chase the trend and i mm. think you know but you gotta you gotta kind of think of where that trend's at i mean by the time you even get there is it even going to be the trend anymore you know yeah. like meme games are a big thing right like nobody mm. wants to play a meme game from 2014 you know <laughs> So, I mean, um, yeah, look, and we're not trying to be unique for the, the sake of being unique. We're not yeah. trying to hook people in with that angle there. It's just, yeah. I mean, I've been I've been doing design for most of my life well before game development. This is just the accumulation of everything I've loved and mm-hmm. built from kind of my own style and everything and, and my influences and stuff I like. So that's really driving the factor of the game. And um, hopefully it is standing out. I mean, look, there's been points where I'm like, geez, this is like crazy. You know, we should be doing something more conventional, right? Mm-hmm. But I've worked very hard to stay true to the initial mission statement and what I wanted to do. And that takes up a lot of time remembering that over such a long period. So, yeah. Yeah, I think it, and what you'd mentioned earlier, like where you say, you know, you want to try to jump on that trend, but then when you release your game, that trend's over, you know? So Mm. it's interesting because I think, what was it, like six, seven months ago, earlier this year when couch co-ops were like a big, big thing. They were, you know, everywhere Mm. and everybody was talking about them. And I think it's more like, it's just this happenstance where developers who happen to be making couch co-ops like two years years ago or three years ago and they were like this might be a good idea and then they just happened to hit that trend when it got popular popular and it was just in that's what elevated their title so i think it it is a great point um but you'd mentioned like you were trying to lean into things that you were passionate about and that you kind of were really wanting to bring into the industry so from like a strategy standpoint where you're trying to set yourself apart from these other indie games did that 
pressure and that like amount of competition factor in at all? Or was it just kind of, I want to make something that is kind of true to what I am thinking of and passionate about? Yeah, look, I mean, it's probably quite a cheesy answer, but I just kind of really isolated myself in the sense of I wasn't going to get basically nervous on this design and I was just really trying to be very very true to what I felt I wanted to build as a game and um, you know like we've talked to a lot of people and had a lot of interactions now we were quite for years but now we're dealing with a lot of kind of people in the industry and stuff and I always make this joke where it's like people will be like hey I like your game but I love medieval knights so why don't you make it a medieval game you know and it's like you know I think you talk to people and they will instinctively go to what they like which is something that already Right, yeah. and I'm not saying it's just like purely unique things. It's not. I just very much um, was stubborn in, in my resolve to just mm. really do what I loved with design, and um, we're kind of achieving that now, which is awesome. Because now we're at that tipping point, right, where you can't go back. Yeah, it's never going to be the medieval night games. You know, Rosen Walker adjusting to <laughs> maybe that's a sequel, right? You never uh, know. Yeah, yeah, of course. Damn, you got me. Anything's anything's <laughs> possible. Yeah, it's a good point though, because I think there's so many games on the market right now, which is it's awesome because like there's pretty much something for everybody out there, which is great. Mm-hmm. But I think like you'd mentioned, players will try to compare it's very natural for players to be like, This game is like this game. And you're trying yeah, yeah. to like draw these parallels. And I think a lot of times that creates this like divide where players, they expect your game to be like another game because A, it may share some visual similarities or it might be in the same genre, things like that. Like if you think of a shooter, you'll always think of Battlefield and Call of Duty. If you think of a Metroidvania, you're probably always going to think of, I don't know, Ori and maybe Silk Song or something like that. Like you just think of these like distinct, really well-known titles and it kind of creates almost this, I don't know, it, it, it's unfortunate because it can impact some developers in a very negative way, especially if their marketing budgets are, are limited, which most indie developers' marketing budgets are limited. No, definitely. Look, I mean, the amount of like Metrovania tags we've had to remove from our Steam page just because people are chucking them on there, right? Like, yeah. And look, we had that discussion early on where it's like, look, this very much could be Metrovania. I mean, we yeah. had the baseline where we could have you know pivoted that into it but you know it wasn't it wasn't the core idea so that's not where we went and and you know even it doesn't matter how many times we stated by the time it hits you know sales day people will be like <laughs> you know maybe need on their front banner of the steam page not metro <laughs> i don't know um so, social yeah. media will always social social media always strikes again you know you just gotta in, yeah. the, in this industry you need a thick skin and you just need to ignore it a lot of the times it's unfortunate and i mean people are gonna hate your game right i mean it's inevitable i mean you know i love it you know so i've done design for many years and i was talking to a guy that been working on like high profile kind of jobs and mm. he was a graphic designer and he said he had a client one time come in and spend all this money and it's like yeah like i love everything about it but i just hate the color purple and it's yeah. like well <laughs> i can't think that you hate the color purple you right. know so it's like yeah. people are going to decide things for whatever reason they have and like you say you know that is the yeah. industry and you do it is unfortunate um, though because i think social media has i think is a very small minority that is very negative on social media which is unfortunate but they are usually the loudest group so it's like hard right. to kind of like maneuver around that a lot of times with with being in the industry and being a developer or content creator whatever it is so it's one of those weird wonky like you know dynamics but it is what it is right at the end of the day that's that's probably just them and what they're dealing with right i mean you know if you're standing face to face with them in a room they wouldn't be they're not gonna exactly yeah 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 i mean you know it just 
and and look, I mean, it's a it's a social platform. Everybody gets to say, no matter who they are and how they feel. So that's that's the buy and buy of it, right? Since there's two of you making this game, was it? You know, I've been on channels with other people. Some I've done solo content. I've done content as a duo right and sometimes there's that like tension between the two of you when you're trying to come up with concepts and you're trying to flesh stuff out and like you're trying to come up with like creative things and push it out there so when you guys were like making this game was that any part of that dynamic or was it just kind of you both kind of had this idea and you wanted to create it and that was it you know <laughs> yeah it's kind of almost you're talking about like you you walk up high five and push the game done button right like, yeah <laughs> Everybody has a drink, yeah. That would be uh, awesome. Nah, you know, like, I think when we started, like, really getting into this and, I mean, I was saying, Ryan, you know, like, we are going to argue, we are going to mm. have conflicts of opinion, you know, yeah. like, that's just human nature, right? Yeah. Whenever that happens, we get past it real quick because at the mm. end of the day, we just, we really respect each other. And, I mean, I just, I can't express how the love I've got for Ryan because he's just, he's just kind of walked into this crazy abyss. And, and, you know, just um, and just really run with, like, some of the stuff he's had to deal with coding-wise is like, um, sure. uh, some of the ideas I get across, he's like, look, you know, it's an amazing idea, but I just, I'm kind of booked for the next 16 years of my life, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you just, you kind of talk it out, but mm. I guess that's like any relationship, you know, it's just respect and communication. And then if you're willing to not be the person that has to be mm. right, yeah. then, you know, things are progress and if you have to be right get used to being in a room by yourself i guess <laughs> so you know like um I, I have massive respect for what me and ryan have achieved just because it has been so tough but i think you just grow you know trust the other person you know that mm. uh, when you go through something when you guys because you've been working on it did you get the publisher like really early on or did you just get the no, no. <laughs> okay i definitely not i mean we had uh, it was crazy i think um we didn't really realize this was kind of a thing but we've mm. had about 26 27 publishers interested yeah and we contacted anybody um and no. uh, we didn't realize that we started talking to other developers and um but i will say you know i've said this before that that was like the guy that had five bucks in his pocket like you know mm. hey what can we do to like the big contracts where we are now so kind of the whole spectrum but um no we we really kind of did things tough we both dropped out like full-time work and went part-time to get as many hours as we could so yeah. we were living very in new zealand you know probably even still now there's like zero government support so it's like mm. people working on that things to kind of get things going but you know you're really out here doing as poor as you can to sacrifice income to get as much time to just have a chance right so yeah. by the time we'd had probably a couple of years on social media we're kind of growing those numbers we'd have a lot of publishers some were interested long term dropped out others were like hey we're gonna do it this way you know it's really hard to find the right yeah uh, match yep it's i was just gonna company. say because you know business part of it aside when you're getting a publisher i think it's very hard to kind of a there's a million of them out there and there's quite a few of them that usually kind of want to have not a say but they want to be part of like creating your game with you and i think sometimes it's hard to like kind of take that step because like there's a lot of questions on exactly how that process will work how it will play out and like at the same time you've been creating this game for like a year it's it's like your life at that point you know it's it's your baby and then all of a sudden you've got to kind of give some of it away and i think that's hard for some publishers or some developers to do and it's just yeah i mean and publishers i mean i've had you know many conversations about that is there's the good side there's the bad side you know there's a lot of layers to publishers and, and that relationship with developers so it's good that you guys found a, a solid publisher you know that that is a really good thing 
a big big part for us was not having somebody step in and I'd be like, hey, look, you know, it's great art, but let's chuck it on a, like a conventional model, mm. you know, because, you know, the art will sell the game and we know that that game model sells, right? So yeah. that would be a smart financial move. And I think, you know, you get variants. I mean, some publishers will be creative-based stuff ones. It seems like the accountants are running the company, right? So they're just like, you know, build game that goes A, B, C, D, throw yeah. to Z and then done. Uh, man, we've had other ones that are like almost trying to buy into our company, which was super weird. You know, they were like, hey, we'll come in and, and get amongst the development. We're like, we don't want that. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, we, we, we worked incredibly hard to have our system locked down and to yeah. have it as quick as possible because there's only two of us. So we had to have that as slick as possible. And yeah, yeah so look, mm. you know, but it's like the biggest thing for us really was like we were going to put out this creative thing for better or for worse. And mm. um, that's the main objective. So. I guess we haven't really talked about the game itself. So let's kind of look at how Rosen Locket is built from like a, a an environment standpoint, right? Talk to me about kind of the game world. Talk to me about how the environments are going to be, how they change as the game progresses, things like that. Cool. So it's pretty much a medieval jousting game. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds <laughs> yeah. awesome, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good. It's good. Yeah. Um, no, look, I mean, the structure of it is is basically you are being led on this path by Envy, who mm. has pretty much blackmailed you into uh, going through and collecting the bounties of the Sins. Uh, so there's the great Sins of the Underworld, the classic seven, mm. uh, he being one of them. And he's pretty much locked your daughter in a silver locket that Rose wears around her neck. And they talk and converse and back and forth. Mm. And you learn, uh, basically, each Sin looks into Rose and reveals part of her past so as the player you kind of understand rose's past she's an ex-outlaw um so there's like a story there mm. basically it's set in the wild west period and then you're in the underwest itself so the structure of the levels is basically you're moving from like waypoint to waypoint and they're pretty much these notes that envy has left now okay. they're fully voice acted so when they pick up a note he starts describing what the sin is what the objective is that type of thing and we have a cast of enemies in the game so that cast builds over time so each realm introduces new enemies and mm. then that kind of uh, density of that kind of combat space and like i mentioned before rose has a lot of acrobatics so yeah. you're just learning as you go as the player and becoming more gunslingery if that's a word um and then yeah basically you're working your way so envy's leading you through all these sins to him which is the last point and you're supposed to deliver all of these sins for the exchange of your daughter Rose okay daughter. so this is it's a linear game i'm imagining mm -hmm. there's not going to be what about like weather and things like that? Does that have any impact on this game? Um, yeah, depending on the kind of level. I mean, we've just okay. um, done. So like yeah, the realm we've just completed is uh, like set in the clouds. So there's a lot of rain and lightning and thunder, which is a key element. So yeah, but I mean, uh, weather itself for the most part is kind of like slightly gameplay, but more atmospheric. So yeah. there's obviously like, um, you know, what I'm doing is working a lot with like heavy atmosphere on top of like a very stylistic you know um stylized style so um yeah so a lot of atmosphere in the weather when you're developing like different weather types for each level what's kind of struck you as like the hardest one to build look i mean when we're moving through there's a lot of rain in the game mm. I mean, it's a lot of scales and a lot of rain so you know um <laughs> that's probably the rain right, right up I mean, look, the rain itself was easy enough to get, but mm. then would have like low angle perspective shots. Yeah. Where it's like, you know, obviously then your rain has to shift from a high point to a low point. So, um, but, you know, for the most part, I'm not going to take credit for that because that was Ryan uh, Einsteining on a chalkboard, no doubt, going through like quantum physics mechanics to, to get that running. So, I mean, um, 
Yeah, and and then you know, like we could have because the game is it's very montagey in a way where you're mm. you're moving from shot to shot. So we could have rain in one shot and then dry environment mm. and whatever. Yeah. What was for all these different like mechanics and all these different like art styles that kind of went into this game for you specifically because you're doing all the animation and things like that. What kind of was the inspiration for that? Especially this is like. It's a Western-themed game, too, which is interesting. I haven't seen a lot of Western-themed games out there recently. What's kind of, what was the driving factor between all those things kind of coming together for you? Yeah, so, I mean, um, I've had to really think about this because we've had a lot of people in interviews ask us mm-hmm. and kind of at Discord people now. We're talking to our community and I'm doing, like, larger room things. And I guess I hadn't really thought about it because it's just been my whole life of being an artist. So I had to kind of backtrack and understand, right? And yeah. it was a very obvious answer you know like um you know I'm, i was born in 84 so by the time the 90s hit with mm. just the amazing period of 90s with you know ninja turtles transformers he-man everything like this you know i was right in the prime of this just colorful spectrum of insane creativity so yeah you know i, I was soaking all that up and um when the first games i played and this always comes up is like outlaws by lucas art 1997 game mm-hmm. and uh that was my childhood, man. That just that just blew me away, you know, like the story, the animation, the yeah. style of it. Yeah, so that started the whole thing, which got me into Spaghetti Westerns. I'm not a big Western fan, but Spaghetti mm. Westerns I love, uh, which led me to basically understanding like 60s samurai cinema, you know, <laughs> which is what Spaghetti Westerns are based off. And then yeah. as you study kind of design, you realize that everything's interconnected. So you just start to understand that where everybody is influenced from. And that's why like, that's why it's, it's such an amazing thing, actually, because you realize that it's this continuous build of styles that mm. everybody's just a part of, you know. Um, One thing I actually, I don't think I had it written down, but when you're creating a game like this, and I haven't looked too thoroughly on this one. When you're like, your characters are talking, is your text overlaid or is it like part of the game and your actors are just saying it or is it both? Yeah. So, I mean, it's a little bit of both. I mean, really with the story, what we're trying to do is um, keep it very tight, obviously. So we have this mechanic in the game where there's these little spirits called lost ones Mm. um, and collect them and they're going to fill out the world a little bit more for you. Mm. So you can kind of delve more into the kind of depth of the war of the Underwest and everything and, you know, the blasters and all the stuff. I was just going to say the thought process behind that was localization, I guess, because I guess with a game like this, I think it's... Would I be right to say it's like an extremely story-driven title? Um, yeah, but it's kind of a story in the design mm. with some voice story on top to kind of... Like, we didn't want to basically stop the player and bog them down with, you know, okay. like... Uh, yeah, so it's like we're, I've, I've had to really balance basically the story on the go and really refine my lines for the voice actors to be like, these are the kind of key points that are hitting on these character details and these these character arcs without, you know, uh, the players standing in, you know, an uh, environment for mm. a Shakespearean play goes off, you know. So, um, yeah, so, I mean, we, it's it's kind of on the surface storytelling, if that makes sense, you know. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if that's right. You're not making the yeah. players work too hard, basically. No, no. I mean, um, it is really like these sins are really, you know, delving into Rose's soul and exposing mm. her along the way. It's like it's a really nice kind of back and forth. And, you know, they're, mm. they're very malicious about them, whatever, you know, kind of <laughs> you know, Saturday morning cartoon villain type of way. So, yeah. Um, but, you know, like the, the story itself, it, it, it's it's a real roller coaster. It shifts from like some lighthearted, 
you know, uh, jesting between the two characters, the yeah. mother and daughter, obviously. Jumps into, like, where Rose's past is really catching up with her and she's really losing her cool and, um, you know, you're seeing that old version of her when, you know, she was mean on the streets and whatever. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so we're kind of treating the story like it is, like, the rest of the design where I'm just kind of like, what is what is the feel and tone and the, that story point that needs to happen right now with that character? And Yeah. So when you're doing that, do you have localization in the back of your mind? Are you thinking about, like, hey, this story story is a little bit simpler it's a little bit more surface level but it's also kind of intuitive of the character i have to make mm -hmm. you know the overlay text simplistic because it's got to be translated kind of is that something you think about or have are you just trying to get to launch and worry about localization after that yeah i think it looks like uh we won't be too popular with the team that has to deal with <laughs> localization but um just because we have certain things right where mm -hmm. we might have almost kind of text used as art baked into the environment sometimes so it's kind of like we have to kind of kind of think about that so yeah. we're really i'm getting quite um graphic designy with mm. um yeah parts of it right so this yeah. is this is definitely like how do i how do i put this completely dry lockdown realistic version of what the underworld would be mm. anyway, so yeah so i mean uh, look by that time that team hits it we've done everything we can within the kind of engine to make yeah. that as accessible possible so that's basically as kind of far as we went but you're not like looking at localization as something that's going to roll out at launch or is it going to be something like post-launch you think about doing i can't discuss that mm -hmm. at the moment okay. yeah so that's uh that would be an nda answer gotcha okay no worries um so i guess the next question would be in the game world itself, I guess, talk to me about kind of the gameplay in more detail. Talk to me about how kind of the character's weaponry works, how it evolves as the game goes on, and then we'll kind of like expand mm -hmm. from there. Cool, yeah. So we wanted to build something that's like, um, the way I kind of describe it is like a couple of influences are like Samurai Jack and Sunset Riders by Konami, right? Mm -hmm. So you got like Konami running guns. Um, so uh, basically we put quite a lot of movement into Rose. So she mm -hmm. has quite, you know, we have stuff where dumped, you know, jump to ear dash to like ear roll and then, you know, ground rolls and, mm. and uh, invincibility frames and that type of thing. So you're really trying to find your, your points of access and paths through the kind of um, encroaching horde that's always ambushing you and growing over time. Okay. And then obviously with the MV notes, you pick up uh, new weaponry as you go. Mm. Um, so we have a limited weapon set uh, by a design that has basically a standard fire ultimate fire or special fire and then kind of a, a secondary kind of grenade or function so you're basically and then we have an energy meter so you have to manage your energy while you're swapping between blasters while dancing between all these foes yeah so you're essentially moving through the game and because the environments constantly shift you're wondering where that ambush is coming from how you're going to navigate that environment and how you're basically going to quick gunsling as quick as you can to you know survive that encounter do you have like a skills tree in this game? Is there like a weapons upgrade system? Are you going to pick up more than those three? Kind of how does that work? No, I so said at the moment we are at um, like a limited range. That may change. Mm -hmm. um, so we're not super locked down on that. But basically we're trying to build something that's quite streamlined, right? So okay. we're not focusing a lot on like subsystems, um, which was always intentional from the start. Mm -hmm. So it's just one of those things where we wanted to really put all of our love into basically what we could manage as two people. We also have this thing where, you know, there's been some attempts to find some external help, but they just can't, like, tackle the content because it's just, it's so much us at this point. We've not so long yeah. that it's like, you know, we have to be very aware that for us to achieve what we want to achieve, we have to 
have a realistic scope and to polish that as, as incredibly as we can right up to launch day, right? So. Mm. With a weapons-based game, I feel like players, they expect it to be more fast-paced, right? But with mm. the way that your animations are structured, I feel like that almost, and I'm not by any means saying that I'm correct, but I feel like sometimes when people try to animate a lot of different aspects of their levels it can slow down that pace so how do you balance kind of the pacing expectations in the game and where do you kind of feel like those expectations should be when people are playing it yeah so we're doing a rework of rose at the moment so she's moving into basically her final design Mm. and uh we're trying to figure out basically the final pace there which will probably more than likely come down to difficulty settings um just because basically the the game model itself you know we've been playtesting it for a long time so Mm. obviously we're ramping it up to ferrari levels of you know speed and combat which is super fun for us but Mm. you know we understand obviously there's somebody coming in they have to learn through 60 aiming and then the moveset and stuff as well so we are constantly looking at that kind of pace um that's that's a big part uh but that will more than likely come down to basically like different difficulty levels where people are kind of at. Uh, we found by the time people came into our game, we had quite a wide range of uh, players, right? That yeah. They're for the art of the story or people that really wanted the kind of intense combat. So uh, we're trying to keep all that in the back of mind as we're moving through. Was difficulty levels always a part of this game or was it something you added on later because you realized it was needed? No, it was kind of pretty much always a part of it. I mean, the early demos didn't have it just because we didn't have time to implement it. But, mm. um, you know, like at the same time, I'm a huge fan of Doom and Doom 2, right? The yeah. original Dooms. That if I was to put two games up there, it'd be, you know, Outlaws and then Doom. Doom 2. Um, so, you know, I, I love the difficulty settings in there. I love that you could jump in that game and essentially play to what you felt like that day, right? Mm, yeah. Um, so it's, it's very, like, I'm showing my age a little bit, but, you know, I am influenced very heavily by that that 90s, you know, the decade of, uh, of gaming stuff there. So yeah. I feel like a lot of people who are on Steam and play indie games probably are the same way. I feel like usually with PC and indie games, the market skews a little bit towards that specific demographic because i think steam's been around for about a decade now and i think you know that more hard level of gaming i think because indie games do tend to skew a little bit on the more difficult scale it feels like it tailors more towards like that specific generation again i could be dead wrong i don't know i've never done a statistic on steam's markets i'm not sure but that's always kind of like been my take on it but again i'm I'm not by any means saying i'm right most times i'm wrong so who knows but (laughs) i'll jump on that boat as well myself (laughs) also um yeah and look, maybe it's a thing where uh, the people that are going all in with their development mm. are, are a little bit older now. I don't know, yeah. you know, maybe they're in the next generation that coming in, they would have grown up with a different, you know, um, a different era of gaming. So, I mean, mm. you yeah, know, I, I spend a lot of time these days. I was talking to Ryan recently and a really interesting thought I had was like, you know, the, the Game Boy, you know, Game Boy Advance was like mm. the last time industry professionals were like really focused on like 2D work, right? So, you know, so, I was uh, like, um, I was like trying to think of what would happen if 3D didn't come about and just 2D kept on getting pushed, right? Like where would it have ended up as? And um, these are just kind of the interesting, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's an interesting thought. Um, I've never once thought about that as that's a wild way of, uh, that's a wild thought. I don't know. A game would be mm-hmm. very different. That's for sure. You wouldn't have any Warzone yeah. or any any battle royales out there. That's that's for yeah. sure. Would be pretty wild. I was just looking at like you know Mode Seven and all these things that they were doing, and um, you know, and then playing with that two D space. Right, that's something that I've become um, quite obsessed with. And I think Among uh, yeah, Us would so. still go crazy though. 
I don't think that's oh. that's not getting slowed down by 2D. No, 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 no. That'll have another 10 years of it for sure. Exactly. Yeah. Maybe longer, yeah, because it's 2D, so yeah. maybe it's not got as much competition. Yeah. With we'll be 80 still. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> Among Us, I've I never jumped on that bandwagon too much. It is a fun game. It's fun to watch people play it, but I don't know. I I never played it too much myself. Um but with this game, right? So is it controller compatible right now or is it not? Yeah, it is. It uh, is. So okay. it's fully controlled. Was that yeah. like something you did out the gate or? Definitely. Yeah. I mean, look, I, the things that I do is um, so like I own Doom, but I'll, I'll pick it up and basically I play it with a controller mm-hmm. via like, uh, you know, modding and stuff and just like doing weird experimental stuff like that, which changes a completely different game, right? Yeah. You know, WASD, instant move. Yeah. Probably have got like ease in and out and acceleration. So it's like, you know, I was all looking at a lot of this stuff and um, picking up like 8-bit 2 controllers, you know, really good feeling controllers and being mm-hmm. like, you know, and then. That leads to questions of like, you know, how much like aim assist and, and getting that feel right. And, you know, do we want this to be like an aiming game or mm. is it like, you know. Is that part of it? Like no, that? not really. <laughs> In, um, look, missing shots is not fun. Mm-hmm. Um, what's what's really fun is pulling off acrobatics and, and, and blasting away some dark spirits and mm. after series of cool maneuvers and that makes you feel great. So <laughs> it's more about, um, look, you still can miss and if you're... If you're fumbling about, you'll get in the life by the horde. But it's kind of like, you know, you're really... We've been playing for a while, right? And you, you do pull off some pretty stylistic stuff. And you're like, yeah, it feels good. So it's kind of cool. Yeah. What about like the health system in this game? So it's just not, you know, there's not a lot of crafting or inventory things. How does that work into this? Can't really comment on that at the moment. Uh, we have uh, kind of, yeah, we have some force that we're developing, but they're kind yeah. of long term. Gotcha. Yeah. You know, we talked about the dialogue and the mechanics. I guess the game world itself, we kind of really only scratched the surface. With a game like this, with the art style you have, we kind of briefly touched on that. Can you talk about kind of, because you're the animator behind this, so how did you take your character, build it, and put it into this game? Was it like a ZBrush thing? Were you building in Blender? Was it something within Unity? Kind of where did you where did you build your characters at, and how did you implement them into this game? Uh, so basically, um, I used to work in Photoshop mm. a lot. Now I'm on Procreate on the iPad, which yeah. is basically just like whole studio on the go, right? Um, so I do everything frame by frame, essentially. So it's pretty like uh, frame bones, but that's you do it frame by frame yeah so it's all frame by frame animation um, how so. many frames work into each level that's gotta well, be tons <laughs> the environment animation is done a lot with like our custom scripts so we're using yeah. a lot of, like wave stuff like that so basically uh, when i'm designing the levels now that's been built through conversations where mm. i'm designing that from a perspective of thinking about unity and our engine okay and then when it comes to characters themselves i'm just kind of just going pretty wild with some smear frames and stuff. Mm. So I'm, I'm really um, like yeah, working on basically the cast is a lot of fun because obviously the spirits and you've got a lot of creative freedom there to, yeah. to do what you want. So we have we have a blend in the game where basically we're using a lot of in- engine particles and wave mm. effects mixed with basically frame by frame animation. So yeah. Was that strictly because of the art style that you went that direction or was it easier or, or what was the main reasoning behind using that? I think there was a day when I'd done about 116 frame animation on some waving bush and we were like, this is ridiculous. Uh, you know, the game is going to be, you know, 167 gig by the time yeah. it comes out, right? So, um, so I was like, you know, and we had those conversations because I was doing these these full-blown frame-by-frame animations, which, you know, they don't work in multiple 
ways within an action game. I mean, yeah. you know, you'll pay everything. So, uh, so basically, we were like, okay, it's always you know gameplay first. That's the main thing. So. Um, yeah, so basically we just started looking into um, wave shaders and getting the right things and Ryan was custom building them and, and getting them correct and then I was thinking from a design perspective of understanding those shaders. So uh, mine and Ryan's work is just very close now. It's not these kind of separate entities. We're thinking okay. about each other's camp. And I, I really equate it to kind of like a yin-yang system, uh, mm. symbol, right? Like I'm heavily creative with a wee bit of logic and he's vice versa, you know, so it's like it works really well. Um, and we just kind of think from each other's camp quite a bit. So what about like, so in between your levels, right? Is there like, I, what would you call it? Is there like a hub you're at kind of, how does your level progression kind of work in your game? So really it's shifting from unique frame to unique frame constantly. Mm. Um, you're just basically, um, this is the hard thing when people try to pin it down in every interview. They, mm. they kind of, you know, <laughs> they're trying to, you know, pin it down and, and get this kind of definitive answer. But really what it is, is we're trying to mix it up constantly. Yeah. And that's like, uh, you know, there was periods in the game when I was doing work and I was like, no, you know, this is this is two, one Zoom level, right? And I was mm. like, no. So probably the best way to describe it is, you know, like our character shifts scale quite a bit. So mm. we'll literally have Rose running up a mountain where she'll change into a smaller scale or you know, curve around objects, go behind objects with like shadow silhouette kind of indicators and stuff and um, hmm. working a lot in that framing. So it's it's really just in kind of a panel, cinematic, uh, animatic, comic type of um, um, visual narrative that works through. So, yeah. Hmm. It's almost like a visual story with kind of a game mechanic included, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. That's, a good, that's actually a great way of putting it. I mean... Um, yeah, you're moving through these creative frames and stuff and then, but, um, you know, you get ambushed by subsections of the cast and then you get locked in kind of arena-style massive epic combat scenes and then, you know, and then by the time we hit the sins, we do that real uh, different boss waves and different um, actual individual frames that are, like, stylized and stuff, so. Mm. You probably can't answer this one, but if you had to pin down how long this game is going to be, could you do it? I can't answer that now. <laughs> yeah, gotcha. yeah I figured. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's always one of those NDA ones. Huh? Had to try. Um, yeah. So I guess outside of that, the only other thing I really had to ask about the game before we kind of segued into the industry as a whole is kind of your enemy system, right? Your The AI behind this game, what was kind of the challenge in integrating that? Kind of how intuitive did you want your AI to be as they're facing off against mm -hmm. your main character? Kind of how did that work in this game? Yeah, so basically we started with Rose and her movement and moving mm. through the kind of environment space, which was like that's constantly changing within curves and different scales. And uh, and then you obviously have Rose who can 360 aim, which was its own challenge, mm. uh, which automatically led to you can't really just have conventional parving enemies, right? Because that's more of probably a grid-based system mm. where, you know, your character might shoot left to right, eight-way directional or whatever. So we very quickly moved into reactional type of uh, AI. So it's it's very much um, each enemy has its function and we've kept those functions quite deliberate mm -hmm. and uh, minimal because what it is is the cast is building upon itself. So it's very much the do model of understanding which, which each cast member does. Okay. And then priority fire and combat and movement. So you're having to calculate what enemies coming in at what time with telegraphs and everything. And Would you describe it as like wave-based combat, essentially? 
Yeah, it is. Yeah. So we have, um, we've, whenever you kind of get locked into an arena space, um, mm-hmm. it's definitely combinations of wave based. And then, we, like I said, you, you will be ambushed by kind of um, an individual enemy in number or mm-hmm. like a subsection or combination. So. All right. I guess outside of that, you know, the next few questions are kind of about the industry itself. So before we segue into those, is there anything you feel like kind of missed on with, with Rose and Lockheed? Something you want to kind of expand on, talk about, dive into kind of is there anything that pops up for you or or do you think we covered everything um yeah just i mean we've gotten like quite a really nice little reception on the game which has been really nice so i guess i probably just want to say a massive thank you to the people that are following us and you know like um we are out here very much being ourselves so it's really nice to have that kind of interaction and do stuff like this today you know it's a real privilege to have somebody sit down and actually want to hear about our game and talk about it you know like i love talking about very- games yeah Oh, dude, no, I really appreciate it, man, because, you know, I mean, moments like this in our community and everything, it's just, um, that shows us that mm-hmm. there is interest in the game and we are doing something, you know, that people might be interested in. I yeah. mean, ultimately, ultimately, I think if you're someone that builds a game, you're the one person that's never going to be able to play it uh, because y- you know it, right? So yeah. it's like, you know, yeah, so um, it's really nice to have interactions like this. So I guess just a thank you. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're not going anywhere yet. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I guess the one question that comes to mind, right? And this one's a layered question. So there's a lot of ways you can go with it. You're happy with your publisher right now. That's awesome. Um, you know, you've had a lot of good reception for your game that you just talked about, which is great. I think with the industry as a whole, though, AAA, indie, all of them together, the inner pessimist comes out in me when I look at the industry. I think there's a lot of great aspects to it for sure. But I think when you're talking about funding, when you're talking about exposure, when you're talking about marketing in terms of AAA versus indie, oversaturation with the market, there's a lot of different things you could key in on as something that is in need of improvement, right? Um, mm-hmm. So if you had to kind of nail down one specific thing is, you know, this needs to change. And we're obviously we're not going to, you know, we're not fixing it today for sure. But um <laughs> If you could think of one thing, kind of, what would it be? Maybe you can send out an email. Just tag absolutely everybody tag on Twitter and everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah everybody. Somebody um, might fix it. You never know. Yeah, yeah, somebody. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> might take 16 weeks to get out there. Um, look, I mean, one thing we've been talking about. Yeah, you're right. I mean, um, any industry has a myriad of good and bad. And I mean, I think... Um, expectations is probably one you hear from a lot of people right so like expectations is a big one from community um but people are going to draw from what they know so they are Mm. going to kind of draw from previous experiences they loved um but a big one we've been talking about lately is kind of like um duration or time in a game equals Mm. value um so Mm. that's one that we've really been kind of looking at because i think honestly like these 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 games which are designed to soak up time right and it's that argument in a triple a game it might be a 16 hour title but you're only playing six hours where the rest of it's walking through pretty environments yeah don't get me wrong you know Bryson locket has it's pretty environments that you walk through Mm. you can't expect your players to have you know (laughs) <laughs> to you know four red balls to play your game constantly they're hyper tension but mm. yeah maybe just that fact of all these subsystems and everything soaking up time and that a game has to to be worth value it has to be played at you know 100 hours 80 hours 60 hours you know um, yeah. where I guess probably what we are doing and this may hurt us in the long run I don't know but we were just really intent on building something that was focused and direct and we cut out basically all the fat and all the systems that we just weren't interested in doing and mm. and just building an experience so from my perspective i i come from a space of joining games like odd world and stuff like this where i I just love to see more crafted worlds that yeah. are focusing more on moment-to-moment experience opposed to like 
here's the subsystem that you know adding on to that point i think a lot of AAA developers are leaning into like open worlds large scale titles things like that stuff like you were mentioning and they're like 20 hour games and they're you know 16 mm-hmm. 10 whatever it is and they're like these huge huge titles and i think i'm not going to say it hurts them because they're making millions so obviously it's not hurting them but i think with like if you see something like TikTok, one of the things that made it so viral is like, it's just these quick, you know, 15 second, 20 second, 60 second, might be a little bit too long. You got to dial it back. You know, I think attention spans are a little bit shorter at this point. And I think it's something that people try to, it, from a marketing standpoint, I think it's something that a lot of marketers try to key in on, right? You got to hit them right as soon as they get in there and you got to make it fast to the point, get them to the finish line and then they'll be happy. And I think from a developer standpoint, not a lot of developers see that as something that is beneficial to them, but I think it is. I think getting that experience to them as fast as they can is def. It can only help you because at that point they're more immersed, and maybe it's a shorter game. But ultimately, if they enjoy it, that's all that really matters, right? That's amazingly put. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think you've summed it up. I mean, um, I think that was it. Show the highlights, right? Mm-hmm. Like, just really take the most potent part of your games, and you know, like ultimately, I thought about it and I thought, look. I can put this time into these subsystems or I can really just do more of this mm. design, which people are picking up on and, yeah. and ultimately they're interested in. So, yeah, I think you're right. And I think, look, I think it's FOMO, right? Like people um, are so quick to jump on the new thing because it's mm. like they don't want to miss so much great content out there. So it's yeah. like, you know, it's really, it's probably really quite difficult to get somebody to sit down and just commit. I mean, look at your Steam library. Everybody's got this problem, right? You've yep. got sales upon sales. You've got 12,000 games. You've played them all for mm. like 35 seconds, right? Exactly. So it's, yeah. So it's like, you know, um, we're just trying to build something special, man. I mean, mm. that's that's really it. And I think ultimately, no matter what happens, if I can come out of it and just say that I really put my heart and soul into it and was just really genuine about what I love, yeah. then I think that'll win for me. And I think you're talking before about, marketing and everything it's like well that's kind of out of our control right we're just mm. trying to build just something special and you know um we're not building that to pull people in we're just building it because we find it special and it's like i'd love to see that more in the industry where people were just kind of the middle finger towards what should be done and just be yeah. like no nah, that's what i really feel you know like and and just real wear their hearts on their sleeves for better or for worse and you're gonna take some knocks for sure but hey, i've done that my whole life so whatever <laughs> so yeah. yeah it's it's a very interesting point and i think what made indie games distinct what made them unique like five six years ago was that exact point where you had like yeah. these wild interesting games that were so different than triple a it was something that people had like really never seen before and that's kind of what got steam games to where they are indie games to where they are and i think not all developers i think the vast majority do still lean into that but i think more and more as time goes on i think development and and the gaming industry it is very much a business and i think players yeah. don't really see that but I think as developers get into the industry, a lot of them say, you know, I want to make a game. I want to make X amount of profit so I can move on to the next game where I can make X amount of profit and just keep going and going. And obviously, like every developer, every content creator in the industry, they want to make a career out of it. You know, that that is something that is a big part of it. But if you're not doing it because you're passionate about your project, that ultimately shows you and then you ultimately suffer for that. So it's like this very interesting dynamic where you can never compete with those AAA games. But I think a lot of indie developers ultimately try to without even realizing yeah. it. No, you're right again, man. I mean, uh, I did a talk at the university here. Mm. Um, 
wee while back and you know we had a lot of like young talent that was like there and just and i mean these these kids coming out man there's so much talent more talented than you know we are now and they're young right so they got the time on them yep uh but you know like one of the questions that popped up and i, I just kind of said you know like we never thought about the money we mm. just it was just not a focus right and i think you can probably go one or two ways you can business model it and really focus on the money and that works right you, yeah that's that's a thing your, part of your system and your model it's great um or you can ultimately try and put something that's really unique and commercial out there and try and combine those two things and find that middle ground which is a lot of work you know but um yeah we, we look i guess the main advice i always give to people is just do it for the love of it and just try and really look inward and and find those reasons why you're doing it like you know you should be questioning yourself on that you know yeah. and it Today, if it's just for a paycheck, I mean, I don't know. I mean, you're going to get to a point when you've probably got all the money you want and then you're going to still want to build those creative projects. <laughs> you know, you're going to be back to square one, right? True. Like, yeah. Both developers that have gone and, and done uh, freelance work and big companies and big teams and stuff and you design yourself into a corner and I think that's like triple A sometimes where it's like you, you're so locked in with your investors and everybody that you can't creatively move. You know, you sneeze yeah. and that the door. So it's like, you know... Um, yeah, it's I don't know. I mean, look, what you said was right. I mean, uh, the indie space, when it first came up and those creative titles, probably yet again, it's like the 90s when it was mm. just like, you know, this wild experimental space. Yeah. And I think the more money comes in is money is terrifying. It stops people being creative because why would you take risks when there's, there's money that you could lose? That's yeah. why I think you've got to go in creative from day one. <laughs> and then if people are there putting the money behind your creativity, then yeah. you start it on the right. So just make sure you're getting into it for the right reasons. I think that's a good point. I, I agree with that. And I think I always relate stuff to Call of Duty because it's one of my my all-time favorite franchises. It's one of the ones I grew up with. And I think how I would compare it would be with the player base in Call of Duty, they have a very firm expectation of what they want. And they always talk about wanting, you know, something different, something unique. But then when they get it, they obviously, they don't like it. And one of my all-time favorite Call of Duty games, and this is one of my most controversial opinions, is Infinite Warfare, which sold the worst. It made the worst sales. But it was like, it was the most distinct out of all the Call of Duties. It was different. Yeah. It had like these little unique factors to it that made it stand out and made it unique. And I still play the freaking game to this day, even though the servers are basically, you know, not existent anymore. And it's just one of those things where it's like, you know, AAA doesn't have that ability, but Indie still does. And they, they really need to lean into it, I think. And it's, and it's something I think they still do, obviously, you know, but it's just, you know, the business model at the end of the day is something I think a lot of people kind of, they strive to, they strive towards, you know, but it is what it is. Yep. But with that in mind, I think one thing for me, right, in the industry right now, the industry is as big as it's ever been. And I think there's a lot of trends going in a lot of different directions. So for you, when you're looking ahead, you know, 10 years, 15 years, what's something you see right now that's going to have a major impact on kind of that direction like i see nfts everywhere i don't see them as much in the gaming industry i think there was a lot of backlash when people tried to put them in the gaming industry and ultimately people backed off i don't know if that's going to continue i think ultimately nfts might have a larger scale impact but you know, you have NFTs, you have esports, you have, you know, VR and AR, you have all these different, you even have like the metaverse, like all these really, really interesting technologies out there and things that can really change how you play games, how you experience games. But if you're looking at it right now, kind of what do you see as one of those things that's kind of going to take off and, and change the industry? I mean, probably two answers. The first one being the obvious short answer would be technology. 
Mm. I mean, I think basically it's going to end up that you have some unified online service where people, that's really what people want, right? They want to mm. play all the games on the base and that fits in your pocket and you can link that to some projector on a wall or any TV anywhere, right? Mm. Um, you know, something like that. Um, do you think, but, you know, do you think oh, that's sorry. really going to happen? Probably not. Yeah. I was going to say, I feel like with Microsoft and PlayStation, they'll never no. let that happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's a, it, I've heard a lot of people talk about it, but it's mm-hmm. like, you know. Uh, the other thing I think that uh, will always be a constant and will always have an effect is the people. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, I think over the last 10 years, 12 years, we've definitely seen the backlash and the impact of, uh, you know, Battlefront 2 with loot boxes and stuff like the controversies that, yep. that have come out and stuff and um, I think honestly now that that generation of player went through that mm. and you know same for you man condolences for being a Call of Duty uh, player because you guys have been on a roller coaster right it's just been like it's been an yeah. interesting ride yeah not for sure yeah. but we never had anything like Battlefront 2 but to be fair on a, on a side tangent Battlefront 2 I'm a hardcore Star Wars fan Battlefront 2 when it came out was it was one of the hardest games to play because of those microtransactions and loot boxes it was terrible and then they mm-hmm. took it away and Battlefront 2 had like one of the best comeback stories ever all the free content yeah. they brought out that game was rock solid and it's it's still one of my favorite multiplayer experiences out there like it's it's so well done and I don't know side tangent but you can keep going now <laughs> no no I think um uh, definitely not a side tangent because I mean what was the equation in there it was the people mm-hmm. yeah. like you know and they really came came to the forums on that in numbers right and it was it was pitchforks and and, and torches outside the castle walls right like yeah so I mean look I, I think those those kids and stuff and even and people people of all ages that went through this whole like <laughs> yeah money system that was worked in and this kind of casino you know bringing in psychologists to figure out how to get the biggest uh, brightest colors uh, flashing yep. on screen to get popped on buying carrots and farmville and stuff you know like um I, I think the people that have all been through that right like people are not dumb mm-hmm. you know they they are wise they're gonna pick up on things it doesn't matter how crafty you think you're being like yeah. you know how much you're checking on it they're gonna see it after a while and i think there's only so much people will put up for you know put up with and and I think that's that's going to be a constant is I think no matter what game you're building, yeah, I think people just want intention of design. I think they just want the developers and the people behind their games to really be enjoying that content because that shows through into the experience that you're playing. Now, if their their direction and their focus is a is a is, <laughs> is you know a financial plan, mm. you're going to be playing a financial plan, and then that's like drinking with a bunch of accountants. That's no fun. <laughs> and I did drink with a bunch of accountants one time, and they were outrageous. I was about to say it depends on the accountants, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But you know what I'm saying, right? Mm, so, yeah. I mean, um, I think the people will always, as cheesy as it sounds, has a, you know have a voice, and they do own games. You know, like yeah. we all have our favorite games, and that's part of our lives, and it, it tells us stories and inspires us, and and we connect to them, we connect to those characters, and we get to visit other worlds and universes and stuff, and that's incredible. But I think that's what it needs to get back to. I yeah. think you should be you should be visiting the creative and technical department of a game studio mm. you shouldn't be visiting the accountant's office That's and you know like and and i just think people are wise to it now i think you know the ma- mobile space look you know it's done man everybody's they're still making the money off it's huge but it's, mm. it's really on the surface right like everyone's picking yeah. up on how that's operating and yeah, yeah I, I think it's a good point but i think at the same time it's something that 
the AAA industry is still kind of leaning into a little bit. Oh, yeah. I saw very recently that Ubisoft is raising the price on all of its games to 70 bucks right now. And like, it's just these little different changes that are happening within the industry. And I think over time, it's gonna happen regardless. Things are gonna get more and more expensive. I don't think microtransactions will ever go away. I think they will always be part of the gaming experience. And some players, to be fair, they enjoy loot boxes and stuff like that because they like, you know, buying the different things in there and kind of experiencing them. And, and you know, to each their own, it is definitely a part of the industry that, you know, will always have an impact. The question really is just how much of an impact that is going to be in the next, you know, decade or whatever that is. So time will tell. Yeah, yeah that's so true. And it's just like how much penetration, you know, is it going to hit? Yeah. Right. Three points on that. Like, you know, I played Battlefield Heroes way back in the day. I mm. love that game, right? Yeah. But, but that was... It had an amazing like <laughs> storefront system in it, right? right? And we were buying cosmetics for the sake of it and whatever. So you know, like we've definitely been you know down that rabbit hole on a few games, especially the artists as well, character, whatever. <laughs> um, you know, but uh, the other point is, is um, man, with AAA, I mean, the games are getting so big now. You know, like yeah. they cost so much to make. I mean, they have to they have to find that money somewhere. Like yeah. you have to find it. Every- it's not just one avenue of people buying that game, like. Mm. And the problem, my other problem with that as well, as I know from, and like, we don't understand the AAA space. I'm not saying Rosenlocker relates to that at all, because it does not. You know, we're very, very small, small people here. But, you know, I can imagine basically uh, trying to get a consistent art direction over multiple studios uh, spread across the world. Like, yeah. what, what I love about the indie space is you have these tight teams, and that's why we haven't kind of expanded the core content of our game out to external teams, because mm-hmm. the more people, the more disconnect and the more. Uh, you know, irregular design you kind of get where, yeah. man, that's why I think you can play Triple A games and you'd be like, man, this part is like, oh, just the best thing I've ever experienced. And this mm. part is just try. I need to go on the internet <laughs> about this, you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. That's one of the things I think I've always when i think of the gold standard for the industry i always think of league because i think league of legends riot they just they they nailed it across the board i mean and that's just me but i think you know they have a ever freaking k-pop group they have a, a netflix show they have you know league obviously they have all these different things but they all are interconnected and they all follow the same design structure but it's this massive massive team like you said they're spread out across the world and somehow they make it work and they make it work so well and they've made it work for so long and it's something that i really don't see mimicked in any other development team and it's just i don't know how they do it but it's it is very very impressive no i think yeah no once again man absolutely i think the the magic formula there is everything they do has an, has a focus and an intention towards mm-hmm. the universe so like you have all these offshoots and animations and mm-hmm. and you know even your unlocks and stuff and i played league quite a while and i was playing the uh what rift is the mobile version mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, yeah that's great man it's fun like that it's awesome mm-hmm. um but, you know, I was like playing Jinx and just, you know, <laughs> super cool characters. But everything yeah. they do is towards the universe. And I think that's their core mission statement. So, mm. like, you know, yeah, K-pop, I don't know if there's like a, you know, it could be in like a, a bar somewhere in the league universe, you know, <laughs> playing the old stuff. I think they, they probably are doing that, to be honest. Mm. I don't know. I've never seen it, but I, they're, it's probably there. I don't know. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I guess... The only other thing that I can think of before we kind of lead into the last question, you guys, I think, obviously, I think the Western market is still probably the biggest, but it's quickly getting, It's I think it's 
changing kind of rapidly. And I think in the next 10 years, that's not going to be the case. I think the Asian market is going to be the biggest in the world. And for you guys, I think from a, I guess from a strategy standpoint, I don't know if that really impacts kind of how you approach this game from a marketing standpoint, from a development standpoint, it doesn't sound like it really impacts either, but I think when you're getting ready to do something, well, I guess you can't talk about localization either, but I guess from like a back of the mind standpoint, kind of when you think about pushing this game out with those two distinctly very different markets, they have, you know, different things they expect, different, even just different ways they consume their products because, you know, China is one of the biggest industries out there right now, but they have a lot of restrictions on how their games can be implemented with like, they do have steam, but there's limitations on what you can put on their steam library, like all these really like nitty picky little things. But do you guys think about that when you're creating this game or is not something you're worried about right now? Look, I mean, um, I'll stay here. This is probably the first time I've stated this and it will probably come back to bite me in the bum, but, uh, you know, like, I have never compromised on mm. the vision from, you know, I, I've pushed the vision of this game since day one and mm. I won't compromise on that for better or for worse. So, no, I mean, uh, basically considering restrictions when it comes to <laughs> the world <laughs> and and basically the platforms and the countries and, and all the differences there and, and, and everything, I think you would go down the rabbit hole and you'd never develop anything. You yeah. just... You go work at Burger King, right? <laughs> you know, uh, you're like, cool. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah. So, look, I mean, I'm, I've never been, uh, as myself as a person, I, I mm. you know, just have never delved too deeply into thinking about those kind of restrictions and what you should yeah. do at that standpoint. I don't think Rosenlocker would exist if we considered all of those options, but you're correct. I mean, there will be a massive shift in the market. Mm. I mean, one thing that's happened for us recently is we've had a lot of, um, kind of like Japanese followers and stuff come in, which is awesome because I just kind of love Japanese game design. I just yeah. think it's like you know, super creative and and then the kind of the whole uh, ecosystem of the game space over there is just phenomenal, right? So it's like, it's almost religious. So it's like, yeah, <laughs> so it's, um, it's just amazing, you know? So we're, mm. we're starting to gain quite a broad audience, which is really nice. Um, so I don't know how we'll transition into that change. Who knows? <laughs> do yeah. you do like game expos and stuff like that? Or no, you haven't really leaned into it? Um, we've had a few requests recently, so basically we're starting to, like, we've only over the last kind of eight months started to do interviews and, mm. you know, like, we, we're used to this type of thing or what we're doing right now with the podcast and everything, but we're starting yeah. to get a lot of people um, asked to come out to events and stuff. And mm. I mean, that's that's all good stuff, right, surely? Um, so Yeah, I mean, you yeah. can only get feedback and that's always a positive, sure. Yeah, exactly. So, mm. um, only yeah, we'll be... We'll be looking to branch out mm. only reason i asked was because japan's having that i don't know what their game show or what their game expo is called but they're having it right now i, I saw a bunch of tweets about it like two days ago that people were mm. going to be featured there so i wasn't sure if maybe like that was something you guys were going to be part of but it didn't sound like doesn't sound like that oh ryan's ryan's partner's uh, japanese so we'll definitely be doing a trip over there at some point which would be awesome so yeah he's done a few trips he loves it so. that sounds uh, awesome yeah. Uh, yeah so so mm. last questions if you can answer them that is this game is being built for pc right now you did say it's getting ported can you say what it's getting ported to yeah no, okay all right um and release window can you talk about that or no, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> all right well that kind of takes away the last two questions then um what about content calendar for the remainder of this year can you kind of touch on that a little bit 
Uh, yeah, so we do have basically uh, the next kind of demo, which will be like the last like vertical slice public um, type of content that will mm-hmm. happen before kind of release. Um, so we're still trying to figure out the window there because we are currently looking for the right sound team. Mm-hmm. So we've been talking to a lot of teams at the moment. Um, so yeah, there will be basically having the last demo. So it's going to be what twice as big as that, even more mm-hmm. so. So essentially the first segment of the game okay um, so should be a good like space for people to kind of uh, go through the kind of tutorial stuff and learn how to operate the characters so yeah so that'll be happening um apart from that yeah i mean we're getting kind of some local events that you know they want us to come out to and um i'm starting to do kind of like drawing jams with a few people and uh chatting about designs so there'll be a bit of that coming up but mostly we're just kind of um in our spaces just designing and working as much as we can Okay. When you say you're doing the audio for the game, does that mean you haven't implemented any of it yet? Oh, right. So basically, yeah, previous demo and everything, right, we had a lot of audio. Ryan jumped mm. in and did a lot of sound mixing and stuff himself, okay. which he hating, but I swear by the end of it, he loved it. I'm sure he does some sneaky audio on the side every now and then just mm. for himself. But um, yeah, so I mean, uh, basically, we're all prepped and ready to go. System okay. is just finding the right uh, fit. So gotcha. yeah. And we're just casting as well. So with the game being fully voice acted, um, we have just casted Envy. We haven't kind of announced that, um, but yeah. (laughs) 